When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is Tuesday, May 11. Well, just ahead, Haynes Brands is having trouble getting young people into underwear. I did say that. That's true. Also, Rackspace racking up a lousy quarter. And we'll drill down into Vladimir Putin's favorite oil stock. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA.com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, you name it. But hit that subscribe button, follow us, and catch every show. And remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. Link up with us on LinkedIn. Connect with us on our website, bizpod.net, and let us know what companies you want us to talk about. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. Joining me as always, producer extraordinaire Isaac Webster. Isaac, what are the most important stories in the world of business today? Well, here are what you need to know from the world of business today, Tuesday, May 11th. Stocks fell, the Dow dropping around 470 points, its steepest one-day decline since February, as the recent sell-off in tech companies spread to other sectors of the market. But if you look at those one-year returns, the Dow is still up 41%, the S&P is up 41%, and the NASDAQ is up 45% over the last 12 months. So big gains for the last year, and for all the sort of mainstream business press, it's freaking out because the sky is falling because the Dow is down 2%. Big deal. That's right. You know, well, you got to have something to write about. Now, the Labor Department says job openings in the U.S. reached a record 8.1 million at the end of March. Now, this reflects a widening gap between open positions and workers willing and able to take those jobs. It's interesting about what it tells us about job training. It also tells us a lot about, um, you know, there's there are complaints where some people are saying that unemployment is keeping people at home, unemployment payouts. Um, I don't know if I buy that, but I do think the fact that schools aren't open and people maybe just don't feel comfortable still without the vaccine's full rollout to uh, go back to work. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors there. And Palantir Technologies has started accepting payment in Bitcoin. It's also considering investing in cryptocurrencies. Now, the U.S. analytics provider was co-founded by billionaire Peter Thiel. Palantir is known mainly for its work with U.S. government defense and intelligence agencies like the CIA. Yeah, um, interesting uh, the, the look at Bitcoin. Um, there are some companies like BitPay that help with that. I was talking to my friend uh, Sonny Singh at BitPay a few months ago, and there was a, a, a major sports organization that announced they were going to pay their players and, and employees with Bitcoin. And then he got a call a week later from the same organization saying, hey, we don't actually know how to do this. Can you help us? So <laughs> the announcement's one thing. We'll see if they pull it off. Now, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? All right, I want to look at Rackspace. It's a it's a big cloud uh, software and uh, I should say hardware and computing provider, Rackspace. 
Rackspace. That trades under RXT. Shares tumbled 20% Tuesday. What's going on with Rackspace? This is fundamentally a story about, you know, people imagining a sector and not really looking at the stock in the sector, I think. This is a company whose um, a lot of the numbers have been deteriorating for some time, and the company was able to explain them away. They were able to do mergers to sort of boost revenue growth and so on. Even as every quarter gross margins were declining, they kept suggesting gross margins were going to be great in the future, that all things were great in the cloud. And then they reported uh, the fifth consecutive quarter of falling gross margins. The outlook wasn't that great. And I think that uh, investors finally woke up and looked at the company and said, this company is not what we thought it was. It's not growing like we thought it was. And it's not as profitable as we thought it was. What's the path forward for Rackspace here? Well, what was interesting about these guys is, is during the conference call, they they basically said after years and years of talking about how great the gross margins are going to be, they actually got in the conference call and sort of offered up a little bit of gobbledygook with, hey, forget about gross margins. You really ought to be looking at operating margins. Here is the chief financial officer from Rackspace saying, yeah, don't look at gross margins. Look at the operating margins. I would want you guys to focus on operating margins which we will continue to operate between the mid to high teens because of the old operating leverage we have in the model, as well as the ongoing OPEX efficiency programs. So just to give you an example why we should be focused on that, and we do believe that the gross margins will stabilize. Um, the, if you think about gross margins, let's say our, our corporate average is say mid thirties today. When we sell incremental business, even if the gross margins in those incremental business in a current install base, say comes in below the corporate average, let's say, I'll just make up a number here, say 30% or so. Below the mid We would mid-30s. spend about maybe five to seven percentage points of that in incremental SGA. So he's saying that if they get more business, it'll be lower margin, and it'll cost them a few percentage points of SG&A to get that. This is a company that was reporting better than 40% margins two years ago. So the business is just incrementally worse with every quarter. Corey, what's your next drill down? I want to look at 3D Systems, a struggling company with an awesome stock ticker. Right. Trades under the ticker DDD. Shares climbed 35% Tuesday. Wow. And they've gained 224% over the past 12 months. So what's going on with 3D? Triple D. Uh, yeah, uh, 3D Systems, as I mentioned, they've been trying to make 3D printing machines and and the composites of plastic and metal uh, that go into those machines. This company is not new, okay? Anyone that thinks 3D printing is the future. 3D printing technology has been around for decades and decades. Um, it's just that people seem to hear about it every seven years or so. Uh, there's a bubble in 3D printing stocks right now. That also is not new. There's a bubble in 3D printing stocks every seven years. There was a bubble in 2014. There was a bubble in 2007. There was a bubble in 2000. And every time shares of 3D systems surge, then every time they end up collapsing. Now, maybe that'll be different this time. I don't know. The stock's got a big boost lately from star mutual fund investor Kathy Wood and her ARK investment fund. They think that 3D printing is the next big thing. Again, 3D Systems talking about today, they announced a quarter and they said uh, with new management uh, in place, they said that they've had uh, some accounting problems. They said they'd have to delay their release of its audited financial results for 2020. They would delay the release of their 10K because they couldn't figure out if the numbers were right. Nonetheless, they're able to announce the quarter and, and their unaudited adjusted results 
and those results sent the stock flying today. Uh, in particular, they talked about successful cost cutting. But I want you to listen uh, really carefully here to the CEO who talks about uh, eliminating $20 million in costs. We'll get $20 million out of our cost structure and we'll look to reinvest, uh, you know, some or potentially all that savings back into the cost structure to, to fuel growth. But you should see it, it you should see a nice uh, uh, response in terms of, of revenue growth, margin performance. You know, it, that's really the trade-off that we're making there. So did you get that? Not really. Did he say he'd take $20 million out of cost and then put it back in? That's exactly what he said. Well, it's like the $20 million out of cost, and we'll, well, you should see us put it back in. Okay. So that's not cost cutting. That's just like cost stopping and cost restarting. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's like someone who's got a, can't work the clutch going up a hill. In any case, um, you know, this company has just struggled and struggled. I did some math, and I'll put the chart up on Twitter and Instagram. You can check, check us out at, at Drill Down Pod. But if you take all the money that this company has spent on capital expenditures, and all the money that they've spent acquiring other companies for the last two decades, for 20 years. So all the CapEx, all the acquisitions, it's less than their cash flow for 20 years. It's a lot less. They've spent $1.2 billion in CapEx and acquisitions in 20 years, and they've only gotten $290 in cash flow out of it. $290 million, I should say. So a billion two in. 290 million out. They would have been better off setting fire to three out of every four dollars over the last 20 years, and they'd have more left over at the end. This company is really special. So pardon me if I'm uh, skeptical of a big move in the stock on any given day, even though this is the biggest mover in the Russell 2000 today. Now, Corey, what's your next drill down? Haynes Brands. Haynes Brands. Haynes Brands trades under HBI. Shares fell 12% Tuesday, but they've risen 114% in a year. What's going on with Haynes Brands? Okay, now I want you to be serious with this one. I'll try. It's a serious company. I'm sure. Haynes Brands makes clothing and underwear. Uh-huh. Or as they call it, innerwear. Innerwear. They don't call it underwear. They call it innerwear. Okay. And as I got to thinking about this over the course of the day, I realized if I worked there, I would rather have them call it innerwear, too, because you start to feel funny all day talking about underpants. You know, I don't think I would feel funny talking about underpants all day long. I would call them underwear, not underpants, but, you know. Underpants is such a great word. Look, uh, <laughs> you mentioned the stock jumping. Well, the revenues yeah. uh, earlier in the last year, you said 114% gain in the last year. Uh -huh. In the last year, they got a big boost from retailers restocking stores, customers spending their federal stimulus checks on, yes, innerwear. Underwear. But those tailwinds are mostly gone right now. Um, uh, tailwinds, another pun? No. Not really. I mean, kind no, we're of. Gonna, we're going to avoid the under the underwear puns. Uh, but they're mostly gone now. And the company wanted uh, wanted to warn that sales are going to increase for the rest of the year by just about 2%. Um, even though that last bit of stimulus checks helped them out, um, the industry is in a secular decline. Uh, one of the big takeaways from their outlook is that they think that the tailwinds that they've had are going to dissipate. But And I'm sorry, the, the puns are just bad here. It was a shitty guidance. Uh. <laughs> no? The CEO said he even said at one point during their uh, their investor meeting today there in their conference call he said uh, that uh, future capital expenditures would be front end loaded. Again, All right, I think that's an, I think that's enough puns for today. Okay, you know? well look, there, here's the problem: young people aren't buying underwear. 
or anywhere, whatever they want to call it. It's pretty crazy. But uh, the Haynes Brands, uh, Joe Cavallari spoke today at their uh, investor meeting. He's the group president of Global Innerwear. Can you see why that guy wouldn't want the word underpants in his title? What if his title was group president of Global Underpants? <laughs> All right. Well, here's what he had to say about his getting kids young people that in school. <laughs> young people. Oh, God. Young people buying underwear. Innerwear. As we think about our growth on innerwear, we're really focused on, you know, growing our share with younger consumers. And the good news for us is that you'll find most of those younger consumers choose to purchase their products via e-commerce. And so part of our full potential plan is to really significantly increase our investment in both our e-commerce partners, both brickandmortar.com and pureplay.com and our own, own sites. In addition to that, as Greg talked about, we're going to have a heavy emphasis on digital marketing. And so that's where we will reach these younger consumers. Uh, and the good news is we've already got considerable momentum, uh, you know, under our belts in terms of some of the investments we've made this year. All right, he said under our belts. I didn't say under our belts. He said under our belts. I should yeah. mention also that these guys do have the champion brand, and that's been a very successful brand for them. Um, and they think that that's going to give them some hope. But like I said, 2% growth, federal stimulus checks going away. Um, and I think a lot of companies uh, are going to start to talk about the effect that those stimulus checks had on their business during the pandemic going away and maybe affecting them uh, negatively going forward. All right, up next, we're going to drill down into Vladimir Putin's favorite stock, Gazprom. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more, powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes 40,000-plus investor events annually across 10,000-plus global equities. Learn more at ERA.com. Remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. Link up with us on LinkedIn and sign up for our newsletter on our website, bizpod.net. All right, let's get to some drilling down. Let's look at Gazprom, the Russian giant oil and gas company. Joining us right now, Dave Iben. He's the chief investment officer at Kopernik Global Investors. Uh, Dave, first of all, what is Kopernik? Uh, Kopernik, we are a... Six and a half billion dollar, basically long only public equity uh, manager managing across the globe. And why, uh, of all of the companies, to help us understand better, uh, Gazprom? What is it about? Well, I should back up. What what don't we know about this company other than that it's a, <laughs> a big Russian, principally gas and oil company? Yeah, there's a lot of names I could have given. And just a little background, very quickly. Uh, right now, in a market that's hugely overpriced, it's bifurcated, and there's few things that are uh, very underpriced. And two categories, one are really good companies that are in emerging markets, and two are resource companies that have been in, for the most part, 15-year bear markets that are starting to snap out of it. I figured let's go with uh, Gazprom because that, that encompasses both of them. So here is a name that in a world where people tend to love things too much or like them too little, uh, this falls into they really don't like it. Uh, it's got everything people don't like. <laughs> it's hydrocarbons, it's emerging markets, it's Russia. <laughs> and so uh, uh, that 
has forced people to, uh, or caused people, I guess, to sell at a very distressed price a company that is best in the world at what they do. They are the which is what they uh, produce and sell natural gas. And it's purely gas, and I, I call it an oil gas company because it's in the sector, but it's, you know, surely when one drills for gas, one finds some oil, and, and you can try to, uh, but, but they're really focused on gas. Is gas more important to uh, Gazprom's customers? Uh, gas is, I think, very important. I mean, we live in a world where people are trying to uh, wean themselves off hydrocarbons, and they presumably will many, many years from now, but coal's the one that's losing market share. Uh, natural gas has been gaining market share with the exception of the, the COVID year. So uh, natural gas is cheaper than, than most fuels. It's uh, lower pollution than most fuels. And so it is very important and it's very important to Gazprom's customers. It is, I think, half of the imports into uh, Europe come from them. Uh, increasingly, China is getting their imports of gas from, from them. So they are very well situated. Well, talk to me a little bit about those customers. Who are the customers for this company? Where are they located? Uh, well, like I say, I, I don't know about specific names. It's a, a lot of different uh, companies. But the uh, Chinese, uh, uh, they've been building a pipeline and now it's up and running. So uh, the Chinese now are importing gas from Russia, from Gazprom. And uh, a lot of European uh, countries get their gas from Gazprom. So it's pretty uh, diversified portfolio of customers. And what do we know about their sort of discoveries and their ability to access um, um, fines in, in natural gas? Uh, you know, we right now are finding a lot of value in resources in general. And one of the great things about resources is they are hard to find, <laughs> and they're increasingly harder to find yeah, the last 50 years. Yeah, so technology has made it, uh, you know, they've been able to exploit most things that are exploitable. So uh, because in a world of massive money printing, scarce commodities are worth a lot, we like the commodities, and because they're hard to find, we like the companies that don't need to find them because they already have them. So. Uh, Gazprom already has almost four decades worth of gas, and so uh, uh, they don't need to get to discover. That's one thing we we like. They are one of the longest live producers in the world. Where where are their their um, uh, finds for the most part? Ah, uh, well, yeah, all across Russia, Siberia, everywhere. <laughs> Um, and it, it's, it is interesting that it is so gas heavy and that the infrastructure uh, throughout Eastern Europe and even into Western Europe is so reliant upon gas as a, as a fuel source. Yes. Uh, you know, they've been very reliant. You know, they've made progress in solar and progress in, in wind. Uh, coal is on the way out. That really leaves uh, natural gas as, as the winner in addition to the, the solar and wind, but only so much of electricity will come from that in the near future. So gas is a, a, the obvious winner. And yeah, the faster the switch from uh, internal combustion engines to electric vehicles, that should be good for gas also. That's a switch off of gasoline to uh, energy, uh, much of which is produced from natural gas. Now, in terms of the size of this business, how does it compare to a, a Chevron or an Exxon, for example? 
Oh, that's the thing. Uh, I think on just gas alone, I think they're five times as big as uh, Exxon. As a whole company, they are smaller than Exxon, but not that much smaller. So they are one of the world's larger uh, companies. And and in you you mentioned you know the, the what they're doing in China and trying to get a pipeline into China and I think that that's important because China has such a mandate towards cleaner uh, energy going forward and gas as you mentioned is a much cleaner energy than than coal than 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 uh, you know other uh, petrochemical uses. Right, I think uh, you know China right now is and a lot of the emerging markets, but China because of their big population are very hungry for energy, and as their economy snap back, they're using more of every kind of energy really. Uh, but I think their goal is to uh, to you know, reduce the uh, the amount of coal they're using over time, and natural gas should pick up some of the, of that share. One of the, you know, we've got this interesting situation in the U.S. right now where you've got a major pipeline in the East Coast shut down, gasoline prices rising in the eastern seaboard, um, and it kind of shows the reliance on pipelines. Yesterday, on yesterday's drill down show, we took a look at energy transfer to kind of talk about how we can see the world through the business of pipelines. Gazprom, interesting because they don't rely on other pipelines. They own their pipelines uh, as well as the gas that goes through them. Yeah, no, they own the pipeline, so that's a definite advantage for them, although it certainly wouldn't be good for them if uh, something happened to their pipelines, too. They need them to uh, deliver the gas. Um, what is the risk as it relates to Ukraine? We know that one of there's a, been a big uh, increasing uh, military presence on the border, the Russian military presence on the border of Ukraine. There have been concerns about a potential ex- uh, escalating conflict there. And as we know, a lot of uh, Russian gas and Gazprom gas uh, goes uh, and fuels uh, uh, Ukraine across the entire country. Yeah, anybody that is at all interested in owning companies like Gazprom, they should realize two things. One, there are risks. Uh, secondly, in our opinion, these risks are more than priced into the stock. But yes, somebody owning this, they should know that there are risks in uh, in Ukraine. There are uh, risks trying to complete uh, a pipeline into Europe that's uh, been a month away from being completed for a long time, and that's run into obstacles. Uh, Russia's famous for their corruption, where uh, you know, money spent on pipelines uh, seems to cost more than one would expect. And uh, Gent- Gently put. <laughs> yeah. I mean, please, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're, it flows in more money flowing into pockets than gas into pipelines, I'm sure. Um, but as we look at these guys, you know, I would imagine there's also some um, uh, perverse uh, benefits to well, first of all, there's something perverse about owning shares in a company in a, a, that is essentially part of a, um, a dictatorial, uh, nearly communist empire that is not uh, capitalist, uh, where, where money flows freely. But I suppose there's also some advantages in that Gazprom is a monopoly, a government-supported monopoly. Yeah, there are pros and cons everywhere. And as we've seen, politics is changing all around the world, uh, becoming a uh, something people need to think about more, no matter where they're investing. But certainly uh, with Russia, the downside is the uh, government they've had early for centuries. They've had problems, and this government, uh, you know, is always manages to find itself in conflict. But as you say, uh, there are advantages. This is a government that has taken the shambles of uh, 
the old Soviet empire and pulled together some great companies. So uh, Gazprom was put together and became a monopoly, a very good company. So there are advantages. Also, Russia has way less uh, debt than uh, most any other uh, big country in the, in the world. So that's probably an advantage. There's probably more rooms for growth. So there's advantages and there's disadvantage. And we weigh it all up and we say, uh, all things equal, we'd rather not invest in Russia. Uh, we want a big discount. We would want half off from what we would pay in, in the United States. But the market uh, is giving us a lot more than half off. So, yeah, I mentioned the problems, but this company is trading at less than 40% of book value. Uh, this company on most years' earnings, three, four, five times earnings, it has a dividend of five and a half percent. And so, uh, uh, very, very cheap. And if you value the value of the business divided by the reserves, the oil equivalent reserves they have, this company is 90-something percent cheaper than Exxon and Royal Dutch and you know, Chevron, you name it. These guys are 90% cheaper. So uh, we find that a fascinating disconnect. I think people, like I said earlier, people either like things too much or they hate them too much. Uh, we think this is clearly in the latter camp. And what what value do you think that pipeline into into China, the power of Siberia pipeline? What a great name for a pipeline! It's <laughs> yeah. Keystone XL by, by a lot. Um, the power <laughs> of Siberia pipeline. What's the timing on that? And what value do you think that? Uh, uh, how might that change this company? Yeah, well, it gives them a a big market, so uh, that's a very good thing. However, we've been actually conservative on how we value these things. We value the gas they have. And we don't really put valuations on the fact that they're, they have a big pipeline network that's worth a lot of money. They also, as you mentioned, have a, other fuels here and there and other properties here and there. Uh, those are valuable, but uh, we don't even factor them in. We just figure it's a cost of doing business. It's a very, very cheap company that's, as you point out, probably worth a lot more than we were thinking there. Um, and in terms of, of uh, the, the growth prospects then, so you you just kind of pencil in a more is the number on growth with that uh, that pipeline? Uh, that's another thing. Uh, we've just valued this on what would this company be worth if they don't grow at all, if they just run down the reserves they have and never find uh, another reserve and run themselves down. We think the thing is... Uh, worth many multiples of what it's selling at. So any growth, any future prospects, anything positive, uh, that's icing on the cake. All right, Dave, I've been well, I want to thank you for your time on this one. It's an interesting company to look at, Gazprom, and, and one, as, as, I, as you mentioned, is not really thought of, I think, by a lot of people when they think about the majors uh, in the oil and gas business, Gazprom. <laughs> uh, Dave Ivan is the CIO, the Chief Investment Officer at uh, Kopernik Global Investors. Uh, Dave, how uh, can people sort of follow the insights or follow what you guys are doing on the investing front? Uh, people can check our uh, our website, kopernikglobal.com, and we're, we're a lot of stuff there, and we're happy to add anybody to our, our list as well. Great stuff. All right. Really appreciate it, Dave. Well, coming up next on The Drill Down, we'll have The Drill Down Bite. It relates to Gazprom. We're going to talk about that uh, that power of Siberia uh, pipeline and how many miles long this thing is. It is a jaw-dropping figure. We'll have that when The Drill Down continues. 
The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, the equity platform with event intelligence and insights for fundamental investors. Seamlessly connect to any earnings call and take advantage of ERA's AI-powered tools. Work faster and smarter with ERA.com. And please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn. We don't care as long as you subscribe or hit that subscribe button, that follow button, and catch every episode of The Drill Down. And remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. Link up with us on LinkedIn and sign up for our newsletter on our website, bizpod.net. All right, we are back with the drill down. Isaac Webster with me as well. I want to talk about Gazprom and the, the distance of that pipeline from Siberia all the way to China, the power of Siberia, they call it. It goes 2,486 miles. Wow. It's a long that's pipeline. A, that's a lot of pipeline. That would take us basically- it's a lot of pipe. Across, okay, let's keep it clean. Let's keep it clean. <laughs> But that would take you all the way across the United States. That's how long that pipeline is. Quite a quite an endeavor for Gazprom, um, and a, and a, a, an important um, uh, global economic um, uh, piece of machinery. All right. Well, that's the drill down bite, and that was the drill down. I'm Corey Johnson. He's Isaac Webster. Every day, we're going to try to take you behind the scenes and give you the business stories behind stocks on the move. Of course, you can check us out always, uh, not only on all your favorite podcast platforms, but on Twitter on Instagram and on LinkedIn, on Twitter and Instagram. We're at DrillDownPod and sign up for our newsletter on our website, bizpod.net. Peace.